His name is Brother Andre Marie. He is from the St. Benedict Center. He is a prior of the St. Benedict Center. He is the headmaster of the school. He is also the host of Reconquest Radio. Episode number 363, I believe, is on tap tonight. A brand new one. You can get all the previous episodes, almost all of them, at crusadechannel.com. If you're a Founders Pass member, another reason to support the crusade here and become a Founders Pass member. Brother has a bit of a head cold today here, so uh, I want to say a little prayer for Brother uh, to... uh, 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 for some healing here, but um, he'll make it through this. We, we've dealt with head colds before. So good morning, brother. Sorry to hear of your uh, of your sinus woes. Hello, hello, hello. There he is. <laughs> Sorry, I uh, yeah, I, tu- I turned I turned one of these here levers down, and I had to turn it back up. Uh, it's okay. You self muted. I self-muted, yes. <laughs> but I didn't self-mutilate. That's I, bad. That's right. <laughs> you <laughs> self-mutinified. Uh, yeah. Yes, uh, another neologism. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> brother, brother uh, I don't know if you caught the news today, but Janet quoted your namesake. She quoted St. Andrew Bissette, uh, Andre Bissette today. I did. I was I was very edified about about God making the fine most about people the most beautiful artworks get made with the painted with the finest brushes I think that was yes it, yeah uh, and just for all of you listeners out there to know uh, uh, Janet has eight children or is it nine she either has eight or nine and more than I believe five of the eight or maybe I have that backwards maybe three of the eight. Are practicing or 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 practicing Catholics? She is. Um, she thinks that that her husband and she that they're Lutherans. Um, but she told me last time I talked to her brother that reading the lives of the saints is really working on her faith. And she's questioning a lot of things. I'm going like, oh, so my plan is working. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, no, I, I, and I knew, I knew from something that you had said before that she was Protestant, and I thought I recalled that she was a Lutheran. And I'm listening to things she's saying, and I'm thinking, okay, Martin Luther would not approve of this. <laughs> uh, so uh, when Lutherans are confirmed, there's a mention of good Martin Luther during the confirmation ceremony. I'm thinking good Martin Luther would, would be very irate if he heard her saying these things, one of his own children. Um, and again, I think, and I asked her about it, but I didn't make it a condition of employment <laughs> or... Uh, or that, or, or that she had to do, uh, that she had to say something, uh, that she had to convert, if you will. Uh, but I knew that you know, and the, the more sources she finds her own sources now, uh, the more sources that I, I gave her for the calendar, she now has appreciation to, to research the calendar. And you know what her first stop is every every day. This Catholicism about to work. I say, look, go to Brother Andre and confirm it by at Traditio. And if that doesn't work, then go to Butler's because there are ferial days, right? If that doesn't work, go to Butler's. The Reverend Alban Butler has all the way up until what seventeen 
80 or whenever he wrote his Lives of the Saints, has said it's only good up until the year that he stopped writing. But uh, those sources there, and she uses Franciscan media, I think, um, uh, uh, from time to time. But uh, she hasn't gotten one wrong in a long time. And uh, there was a kind of a, a learning curve. Uh, so she takes it, which I guess she's taken some, uh, I don't want to say pride, but some um, some dedication to the work of making sure that she presents the calendar correctly. So uh, you guys can, uh, the, if you're Catholics and you uh, you pray for people for, for their conversions or reversions, add Janet to your uh, uh, to your list. Well, she nailed it today with St. John of Matha. She did nail it. Well, uh, why don't we talk about St. John of Matha to, uh, to, to begin with? Um, because he was the founder or one of the founders of the Trinitarians. That's right. Um, yeah, and I, you know, I, I, I confess to you, I didn't, I didn't crack open Dunger and Jay or anything this morning to give myself a, a, a sort of a reboot on St. John of Matha. But um, he died in 1213, and he's the founder... Um, in one of the so during that era, you had the foundation of all the so-called mendicant orders, right? These okay. were these these are not monks in the strict and proper sense, um, but they're mendicants, which which means beggars actually. Um, so these the, there were five great mendicant orders. That probably the principal two that everyone thinks of off the top of their head, if they're asked, if they even know what a mendicant order is, and if they were said. Name some mendicant orders. Most people would say the Franciscans and the Dominicans. And then, in addition, you have the Mercedarians and the Trinitarians, and I believe the other fifth great one would uh, be considered the Carmelites because they were refounded as mendicants, uh, even though, really, their roots go back to the Old Testament. So this is kind of a new, a new or new-ish form of religious life in the, in the 13th century. And um, they weren't... You know, monasticism was defined back in the day from St. Benedict on. Um, part of the sort of bedrock of monasticism was what they called stabilitas loci, the stability of place, right? Okay. You, you, you came to this monastery, you, pro you, you professed your vows here, you lived here, and you actually took a vow of stabilitas loci, you, you, the stability of place. You didn't leave. Now... Later, as religious life developed, and as you had these sort of large um, um, uh, groupings of monasteries, like you'd have one uh, monastery, say that was an arch abbey, and under it you had various suffragan abbeys and priories and so forth. Like when you got, uh, say, at the at the height of um, the the monastic achievement when you had um, the, the, the great monastery of, and I'm forgetting the name, um, the, uh, where St. Saint, Saint, uh, Gregory Seventh came from. I'm just, I'm, I'm drawing a blank, I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, it, it's, in, it's in France. This stupid head cold has me like senile. I feel like Joe Biden. Um, I, I, won't, I won't ride my bike today, Mike. Don't worry, I'll be fine. <laughs> uh, but uh, the, the, uh, the, this particular uh, monastery had like thousands of monasteries as suffragans under it. So um, I guess I, in that case... Serfroid? The Diocese no, of Mo? No, 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 no. That's it's what, not a diocese. Okay, that's where... It's not a diocese. We're talking about an actual um, 
an actual monastery. Um, Clooney. 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 Okay. Well, okay. So um, the Clooneyac uh, reform, um, and, and, and Clooney had under it multiple monasteries. Anyway, as religious life develops in the 13th century, you have this major development with the founding of the mendicant orders, where it had nothing to do with place. These guys would go from place to place to place to place to place, willingly as part of their work. And um, so St. Dominic had to do this in order to preach, the order of preachers. Um, and St. Francis did it. I think it was part of St. Francis's own poverty, because they didn't really live in houses. And initially, they lived in clay huts, Okay. Uh, the Franciscans. So for the... For the um, for the mendicant ransoming orders, of which there are two, the Trinitarians, founded by St. Felix of Valois and today's Saint, St. John of Matha, um, you uh, have them and the um, Mercedarians who were founded in Spain. And those, those guys, what they would do is they would go around begging for funds, as, as um, Janice said, they would beg for funds, from the common man, little coins, and from big benefactors, large amounts, uh, so that they could ransom the captives. And I believe in both cases, certainly with the Mercedarians, and I think it's true of the Trinitarians as well, they had a fourth vow that if, 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 if called upon to do so, they would actually trade places with the um, captives. So when they would actually enter into negotiations with these Muslim captors, right? And, okay. and so people might wonder, well, how did the Muslims capture people? Well, during the time of the Crusades, during the time of the, um, the Reconquista in Spain, you had uh, Muslim groups that would sort of, they would raid the coasts of Italy and other, other Christian countries on the Mediterranean. And um, keep in mind that the, the Mediterranean was kind of, uh, you know, there was, a, there was a fear that it would eventually become a Muslim lake. Now, this was hundreds of years later, but at this time, you have these sort of Muslim pirate types who are raiding the coast of Italy and Spain and, and other places and, and just kidnapping Christians and turning them into slaves. So they're putting them on their ships as the, the oarsmen and this kind of thing. Um, and of course, don't, let's not even go with what happened to the ladies. So the, um, the important work of St. John of Matha and uh, St. Felix of Valois and their group and the Trinitarians and of the uh, Mercedarians as well in Spain was that they would, um, they would ransom these people by their freedom because, of course, everyone likes to get money, right? So some, some Turkish um, uh, um, pirate who, uh, who has some Christians and he's offered a handsome sum for them, uh, might be tempted to take it. So, and at times, when if, they, if it failed, if the negotiations, if they didn't want money, but they wanted Christian blood, um, the, the uh, friars themselves would trade places with the, with the Christians. And, the, and the, the, the idea was, yes, it's, of course this is a corporal work of mercy, but it's also a spiritual work of mercy because the, the, the motivating factor was that these people were in danger of apostasy. I mean, if you're in the if you're captive to the Muslims, and they are, um, you know, telling you, you know, they're constantly telling you that yeah, you live in these garbage conditions, but you know, we can make it much better for you if you if you accept the prophet. Yeah, just and, become uh, one of us. <clears throat> yeah, and um, and and you know, you might even get a wife and all this stuff. Uh, so they would definitely, and there were Christians, of course, that did apostatize. 
Uh, you had the Janissaries. Now, those were children who were captured, who they turned into Muslims and then turned into elite soldiers, the Janissaries. Yep. yep. And one of them, of course, flipped and became the great uh, um, Albanian um, liberator, Skanderbeg. But, um, yeah, so there was this... There I did was not this know this story. Who, who flipped? What was his name? Oh, Mike, it's a great story. I never heard this story. I must hear it. Sanderbeg, you said? Skanderbeg. Now, I believe that Skanderbeg is a sort of an approximation of the guy's actual name. But, um, but every Christian Albanian will know who Skanderbeg is. Um, he was, so he was a Janissary. And um, the, you know, you know what the Janissaries are. Did you? Did you? Did you? Um, oh, absolutely! Oh, absolutely! So, yeah. So they. So I they, read the history were... of the siege of, of Malta. So okay. 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 Yes. So these guys were elites. They were elite fighting men, but they're the, the, to a man. They were all what they had in common was that they were Christians who had been captured as children, as boys, and put through you know, austere training to become soldiers. But, of course, they became Muslims along the way. And um, Skanderbeg was one of those. And uh, let's see, what were his years? According to the all-knowing Wikipedia, um, his, <laughs> his, his, okay, in Latin, his name is Gregorius Castroyota. Um, but, uh, but, but he's known as Skanderbeg. Uh, Castroyoti, Gergi Castriotti, I guess, is the Albanian. But he's known as Skanderbeg, um, which was apparently his Ottoman Turkish name. Okay. Uh, or Iskander Bey. Um, so anyway, he was a, he was a, a feudal lord, and um, he was given all kinds of authority by the Muslims. And he was told to, you know, you know defeat this place, you know, go subjugate this place, go subjugate that. He rose up through the ranks. And they sent. They made the mistake of sending him to Albania at one point, which was his <laughs> homeland. And I don't know what happened. I don't know the story in microscopic detail, but he had sort of an interior conversion and realized, okay, this is wrong. I'm leading these people against my people. And um, something in him snapped, and he flipped, and he became a great liberator of Albania. Now, obviously, it only lasted so long. To this day, Albania, Albania is a Muslim country, and um, Christians are a, a minority there. But um, he certainly, for a time, liberated a, a, a major part of, um, of Albania for the Christians. And I remember one time I was doing our, our what we call book selling. I was taking our books around, and I was in an office someplace in New York. I, 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 I want to say I was in, um, in Brooklyn or the Bronx. I think it was the Bronx. And, I'm in, and, and I, I knew that I was, I was aware that I was in an Albanian neighborhood. Now, there's this, there's this huge Albanian neighborhood in the Bronx. And have you ever seen Albanians? Have you been around a lot of Albanians? I have not been around a lot of Albanians. I don't know that I know any Albanians. So they don't look too much different than um, any, you know, Mediterranean peoples. I mean, of course, they're right there on the Adriatic coast. They're, I know some so. Macedonians. Okay. Well, you know, maybe they'd look similar, but but they're very hairy people. You know, a lot of them have sort of the, the unibrow. Um, but you're walking around the streets, and you see all these people who are ethnically Albanian, and the women are wearing burqas. And it's it's kind of, I mean, it, to talk about feeling foreign, it really it really has a foreign atmosphere. Anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing this. I'm seeing all these Albanian Muslims around me. 
And I walk into this business and I'm talking to a gentleman who, he could have been a lawyer or an accountant or it was that kind of um, office, you know, some professional man, well-dressed, very dignified, looked Albanian. And I saw something that implied Christian, um, Christianity, right, of crucifix or something. And then I saw this statue. And when you see images of Skanderbeg, he always has this sort of distinctive head, headwear. And that was on the statue. So I looked at him and I said, is that Skanderbeg? And he looked at me like he couldn't believe it, right? Because it's, it's like, uh, no, you know, he's in America, right? Nobody knows this stuff in America. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I asked, is that Skanderbeg? And he just lit up. I mean, he opened up, he brightened up. It was like a little ray of sunshine hit him because somebody recognized the great Christian national hero of his people. Well, so, I'm looking at a statue of him in uh, that headgear you're talking about. It is impressive. Yeah, so, yeah, Skanderbeg. He was a Janissary who flipped and became a great liberator. Um, uh, it's, it's a neat story. Somebody ought to make a movie about it one of these days. Uh, someday when people have sense in uh, Hollywood has been vacated of Satanists. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, that'll, that'll, take, uh, that'll take a lot of doing. We'll need an army of Father Rippergers. <laughs> that you will indeed, Brother Andre Marie of you know, the St. Benedict Center on our Dude Maker uh, Comrex Hotline here uh, this morning on a Wisdom Wednesday, talking about St. John of Matha, and then we're going through a conversation here about an Albanian named Skanderbeg, um, because we were talking about the Trinitarians and how people, Christians, were captured by Muslims and then impressed into slavery or given the choice. Uh, they were given a couple choices. Uh, they could apostatize. Um, they could do the deimitude, or they could just be made outright slaves. Um, and it, it, there's a book by a, a guy named Bat Yor. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's called um, oh, the, the 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 rise and fall of Christian uh, of Eastern Christianity under Muslim rule, or something to that effect. Uh, when someone like Kevin Goodsman recommends you go, all right, if you want to see what happened in the, the Christian nations and how uh, not only were they invaded, but the the I mean the way that they think and everything, how did it uh, how did it come about? Read Bot Yor. So uh, I've read some of this in Bot Yor. Never came across Skanderberg, Skanderbeg though. So as with a K, folks, if you're searching for it, it's S-K, Skanderbeg, or Skanderbeg. Uh, brother, you give me something to read today. It's just <laughs> that's, uh, that's fantastic. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about, a, about a, since it is Wisdom Wednesday, because this is a very confusing subject uh, to many people, yourself, yours truly included. So I'm going to tell you what I told Maggie usury was. Uh, feel free, and I know that you will, to correct me in error if I make any, uh, and we can use that as a as a talking point to uh, to to talk a little bit about usury. Okay, so that's the setup. So Maggie says, right. "Well, what is usury?" Because Schaefer, as is usually the case, is arguing with himself or someone else in the chat room over a student loan, and he's saying that you know. I agreed to this percentage rate for the loan. They jacked it up by two percentage points uh, since the uh, interest rate increases, and that is usury. Another user says, that's not usury because you agreed to the interest. And I said, stop right there. I said, look, I am not the person to consult on this, but a wise person, John Sharp, did give me a paragraph that I used to this day 
Um, and maybe I remember it wrong, but this is pretty much a paraphrase. Uh, I'll paraphrase what Doctor, what uh, Commander Sharp said. It's not. It's it's usury. Uh, usury is using. It is okay. Is you take something that is not yours or doesn't or or uh, you don't own, and you use it to make a profit at the expense of someone else, um, who then will, will pay the difference as a profit, and you take the profit. Now that's crude, and it's probably not completely accurate. But uh, am I headed in the right direction, brother? Well, I mean, usury broadly defined is any interest on a loan. Okay. Um, it's been, in modern times, it's been sort of redefined as interest on an unproductive loan. Mm. Um, Has the but, church redefined? Well, the, here's the thing, Mike. Um, the church has steered clear of this, as far as I can tell, for a very long time. Because... I think churchmen uh, are afraid to get into the weeds of this issue because usury is the economic system of the West. Mm. Uh, most of our economies are based upon usury. That's what I say all the time on this show. And, and um, if, if usury didn't exist, the oligarchs wouldn't have their ill-gotten gains. Um, so I do think that that's part of it, and the, and and the and the and the, and the church um, in in modern d decades, and I mean it, it could go back to over a century. I can't I can't tell you when the last time the church condemned usury was, but all of the condemnations of usury still stand. They've never been reversed. What you have is churchmen sort of redefining use. Now look, there's a way in which you can say, given the fluidity of modern economics. Um, given the given the nature of fiat currency, for instance, mm -hmm. um, given the fact that uh, given the reality of this sort of constant inflation, um, the value th there's there's not an objective standard to the value of money, and because of this, the the you know if I lent you money, so let's say I don't know, just just a crude example. Let's say or let's say you lent me money. Let's say you lent me a thousand dollars for whatever. And oh, then don't wait and, for it. And then, <laughs> and then you said, you know, pay me back, you know, a year from now. Uh, no interest. We're we're friends. Now, if I give you a thousand dollars a year from now, you've lost money. I've lost money because of inflation. So, so the so in order to sort of accommodate that reality, I believe that most moralists would say that a very small. Um, amount of interest to keep up with inflation is morally licit. That's not usury. Um, now, I, I am not, I'm neither an economist nor am I a moralist. Uh, I've studied moral theology, but I don't, I don't have the credentials to be a moral theologian. Right? Okay. It's a difference. And uh, so, I mean, I I'm, I'm myself am open to correction on this. But I believe that it's not a violation of the perennial principles involved to say that because of the nature of modern funny money, you can you can have a a, a, a low interest on loans simply in order to keep up with inflation. That does not stand under the under the condemnations of usury. But certainly, what stands under the condemnations of usury is what's done 
you know, by these by these credit card companies and others. You know, they make money with these aside from the vendors' fees, right? So, so if you're a vendor and you know this because you're a vendor, you take credit cards. I do. Okay, so so part of your overhead is you lose X amount of a percentage on each sale because Lots. yeah, because you take credit cards. So. Um, it, you know, you have to pay these credit card processing companies, and so. But then, aside from that, they make so they make money on the point of sale. But then they also make money on the on the billing part of it because they tell you know you get your credit card bill and it says you know this is what you owe. This is the minimum that you owe. This is the minimum that you can pay. That's right. Of course, you pay that minimum, and and you, you, you're building up debt. You're building up debt. You're building up debt, and you're paying interest on that debt. Um, and that is usury. Yeah. And it encompasses, so, like you said, it is the it is the economic system of the West, and it is uh, all encompassing. You know, daughter number two was telling me yesterday. I said, "Well, how you doing financially?" And she told me, "You know, well, I've I've she's she she saves. She's a she's a very uh, uh, a very dedicated saver." She told me how much she had, and she goes, "And you know what has started happening two months ago?" And I said, "What's that?" She goes, "I started getting deposits at the end of every month from the bank," and I went, "It's called interest." And she said, "She said I was shocked because I I, I don't even remember remember that I that I had really signed up for it or whatever." And then I was uh, uh, explaining to her, I said, "Well, so what they're doing is in the agreement that you signed that you didn't read the fine print of." They told you under the scheme that is fractional reserve lending, they told you that they could take your money out of your out of the vault and they could loan it to me and they could charge me interest on it and then they'll split. They'll give you like 3% of the 100% of what their whatever the uh, the interest charge was. They'll give you a little cut of it cuz you let them use your money. I mean, it's an ingenious scheme, and it, 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 it complete. It, it, it's it, it's genius, um, and it gives them what they call the capital to uh, with what they call capital to work with. And then I was I, I didn't want to get into a too deep of a uh, of a uh, nuts and bolts of economic conversation with her, but uh, but I'm reading rereading Hilary Belloc's uh, Economics for Helen. And you know, in, in 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 economics for Helen, he explains. You know, you have to have labor, you have to have capital, and you have to have land. Uh, that the form uh, about the formation of capital, which is what Commander Sharp told me. He goes like, "Well, that's not usury. You know, if the if, 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 if the farmer is accumulating capital that he's going to need year over year to farm." You know, to have his field seeded and 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 tended and then harvested, what have you, um, and he has leftover at the end of one year, and he sells that for a profit. That's not that's that is that's fine. That's his. That is the product of his handiwork and the, you know the product of his labor. That's a, there's nothing usurious uh, uh, about that. And he and he told me he goes Mike, you should reread uh, Economics for Helen, which we have in the trade. Post from his IHS press at shop.mikechurch.com, and you know Belloc's a pretty good author. It's an easy read. It's not hard. Um, he gives you the principles and all that. But it's a discussion that that you know, that, that we that we don't have. And I was explaining to her, I'm like, well, if we had a, an economy that was real and was based on the real value of a currency. When you give your say, you make an agreement with a bank. 
to have your deposit there, and it's not a fractional uh, under a fractional reserve lending scheme. Um, if you're participating in this, what's happening right now with the interest rates where they are, and this is just still historically low, just FYI for all of you listening, um, this is actually a, a a productive and good thing, Sanzi inflation. You want to have capital formation. You can't start farming if you haven't accumulated capital. And you need this capital because you're not going to be able to feed. Let's say it's going to take you six months to grow your potatoes, five months. But you have to buy the slips or make the seeds, right? You have to have, if you're going to fertilize the soil, you have to, you have to buy the fertilizer. If you're going to have a watering system, you know, you have, to, you have to invest in that. And then you have to wait. And guess what? During the six months that you wait, you're going to be eating what? Potatoes. So you, so this system, I mean, it's it's a natural system. God gave it to us, but we've just you know, we, we've done what modern Western men have done to everything. We just kicked God out of the mix, kicked God, sacred tradition, His laws and His rules, completely out of the mix, brother. And uh, there's a book we have in the Founders Training Post, Maggie. What's it called? What the the usury book. Oh. It's hard to get. It's we can only get two copies at a time, because it's either out of print or you know I'd probably have to go to. Usury in Christendom, Christendom, the mortal sin that was what? The mortal sin that was and now is not. The mortal sin that was and now is not. You know who knows a lot about this? Mike Parrott. Mike Parrott knows uh, about this. Uh, I, I told him I said you need to do a couple of Parrott talks on usury. Um, and help explain it to people because, brother, as you told me in our in our signal chat, it is something that is very confusing and people just don't know about, and churchmen just don't teach it. And and a lot of traditional groups, and I won't go into details on this, don't want to touch it because some of them get support from people who are in the banking sector. That's right. So uh, so it cuts too close to home. Um, but it, it's not something that we shy away from because we we I mean. We, we we're against it. I mean, we, we've been we've been we've had John Sharp multiple times condemning usury in our in our pro, in our talks, and actually, we've had people accuse us of being communists because of John Sharp. <laughs> accuse us of cavorting with communists because we had John Sharp speak. I mean, uh, unbelievable ignorance and malice involved in that accusation, by the way. But still, um, so we we've taken it on the chin for for coming out against usury, um, for sure. Uh, but it is, it is, you know, modern capitalism is certainly driven by usury, and that's that's the problem. It's not about free free exchange of wealth. That's not what it's about. It's about it's about oligarchic fat cats making buckets of money, generally off the back of other people. And you don't have to be a communist to to point that out. No. If you want to, if you, uh, I can hold up Doug Bursaw as a good example for somebody who has a business. That doesn't engage in usurious practices, because I mean, of course, look, we we, we all do it as much as we take credit cards, right? So right, this right. is this is you know, if you're going to exchange current modern currency at all, you're connected to a usurious system. But in order to um, not engage in in usurious practices, Doug Bursa does something very interesting. He doesn't take out loans. So that he, like, if he has a big project, he's gonna say he's gonna reprint Dom Guarantee's liturgical year. Okay. Or he's doing the Albert Butler thing, or he's doing the, um, you know, the the um, uh, Cornelius Cornelius Alapide. Yes. Right? Yes. So these are all big. Doug has big projects, and and, and have you been to Loretto? I mean, it's <laughs> it's tiny, right? 
Um, it's, it's in an airstream. It's basically a trailer in <laughs> it's Richmond. It's in an airstream. You know? <laughs> but he, but he's he's bringing back into print some fantastic things. He's putting out some original works. I mean, when you, I mean, a lot of it is not original, but the English is. You know, the English version is, and he's paying he's paying uh, translators, uh, scholars, Catholic scholars, to uh, translate from Latin into English so that he can publish. What he hopes to be is the complete works of Cornelius Alapide, the complete um, great commentary on sacred scripture, which has minute commentary on every book of the Bible except um, the Psalms, which Alapide died before he could get to that. Okay. So he's, he's publishing this slowly, and how does he do it? He doesn't take out, you know, D Doug's not independently wealthy, he's, it doesn't come from money, he's, it comes from working class stock, and so does his wife. And, um, he is so, working class still. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. So, and he works. Let me tell you, that man works like a like a maniac. He works hard. Um, and but what does he do to pay for this stuff? He makes up uh, like a prospectus, and he gives it to potential investors. And he says, okay, we're going to have this product. We're gonna, we're going to do it like this. We're going to pay this amount. He gives you he gives you all the facts. Mm -hmm. And he asks people to invest in it. And here's the deal. If you invest, you have both sides of the exchange in mind. You have the potential risks and you have the potential profit in mind. So the idea of an investor is I'm sharing in the risk, so I also share in the profits. Now, the idea of usury is, uh, on a loan, like think Shylock, think Merchant of Venice, you know, the ships go down, Shylock hasn't uh, agreed to take part in the risk, has he? Mm -mm. The idea of the usurer is he makes money no matter what. That's right. Upgrade going to get his money. Yeah. So the, the <laughs> I don't know the reference, but it was, I guess it was funny. Um, <laughs> the, the, uh, but but the, the investor... Takes uh, takes part of the risk, and there he 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 inv he invests in the enterprise. Period, which means that he's invested in it from a risk point of view, and from a profit point of view. That's right, and that's what entitles him to a share in the profits. Is that is that he has shared in the risk? So I mean, E. Michael Jones explained this to me in a reconquest once, and I thought, this is great. This is a, a wonderful explanation. And I happen to know, as he's saying this, that this is exactly Doug's business practice. This is, so when you see these new books, these new Catholic books that Doug's brought into print, he's not just you know taking out a loan and then taking the risk himself. And some of those risks could probably really hurt his company. Um, but he's sharing the risks and the profits across as broad a swath as possible with people who have invested and who he hasn't, you know, tricked into investing. He's telling them these are the risks, these are the these are the p potential profits, and he can report. You know, if they say, well, 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 you know, what happened last time with this, you know, and I don't think anybody has ever. I mean, don't quote me on this because I don't, I don't, I don't like examine Doug's books, but. Um, I don't think anybody has ever invested in these in these ventures and has lost, because of course Doug's got a great niche. I mean, people are really interested in in what it is that he has to to sell. Yeah, well, then when you're putting rare, rare and old books, and it was just something that we were doing uh, back into print, it is a laborious, time-consuming, tedious process. 
Let me tell you. And uh, someone that translated some old Italian into English, uh, and I'm no good at it. <laughs> it took it that long. Uh, I wish I would have raised the funds to just give it here. Ryan Grant, translate that for me. Put it into English because <laughs> he could do it. Um, uh, or someone that, uh, that that read Italian. Maybe this is something that the uh, Crusade Channel might be uh, might pursue soon. Uh, Brother Andre Marie of St. Benedict Center is with me. We're explaining, we're digging into the, the subject of usury. I would just want to add one more thing to this uh, here on a Wisdom Wednesday that... Um, if you want to know, uh, was there an example in, uh, in Christendom of usury being verboten and the government, if you will, being serious about it, uh, and when did it happen? Well, I suppose one of the most famous epics that it happened was during the reign of Ferdinand and Isabella. Um, uh, and this is probably why... Uh, no names are mentioned. This is probably why there is no mention of Isabella uh, or Ferdinand, and there are many people that think that, uh, that that still think to this day that Queen Isabella was a very saintly woman. But she's never going to be canonized, and you know why? Well, she won't be canonized right. in the present regime. No, <laughs> um, you know why? Because of the expulsion of the Jews. That's right. But uh, and also, Liberace was right. Because Liberace, I'm kidding. Uh, that's the uh, Charles. Was that, was that Charles? It was Charles. <laughs> and by the way, Charles Charles says this in the middle of an episode of Off the Menu, catching his co-host completely by surprise, and, and does not explain. Well, you need to listen to the episode to hear the explanation of why Liberace was right. <laughs> you know, I, okay. So I have a head cold, and I'm wondering: Am I entering into some sort of delirious state right now? This is embarrassing. I'm going to start babbling. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, it's Charles that's babbling. I get it now. That's... <laughs> so, uh, Isabella and Ferdinand, uh, a great, uh, uh, it's a great epic in history that, that you, we would all benefit from studying. You did a couple episodes, one of the first two or three episodes, Dr. The Woman, a Alexandria, what was her, uh, Wilhelm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You did two course, episodes. Even, even she's not eager to talk about, it. she loves Isabella. But she's not eager to talk about Isabel and the expulsion of the Jews. I mean, most <laughs> scholars of that most scholars of that rank will tell you on the sly. Of course, she was completely justified for doing that. Um, but it's not something you can say in public uh, and not be called an anti-Semite for. That's and that term is nuclear. Oh yeah. It, it and leaves, don't I know it? It leaves. De <laughs> it leaves detonated. Circles of destruction, uh, which is why people avoid it, uh, and you don't even want to be accused of it uh, because. And yet, no one knows it better than you. <laughs> yep. As someone who has is still, still being accused of it. Uh, well, it's it's in the legal pleadings of a certain uh, reverend plaintiff in a certain case against a certain journalist that we are involved in still to this day as third parties. Wow, wow. That's continuing. Uh, uh, brother, uh, uh, I want to uh, share this passage from me. Uh, I don't know if you, get, if you have time, you're, you know, you're busy, uh, to read uh, at, the, uh, at the New Polity site, but I know that you are a reader of uh, uh, Andrew Willard Jones. There's another gentleman that writes there, Mark Barnes, 
And they posted this essay, and I missed it. And they posted this essay in their summer edition of the print edition, What Abortion Means. And I used it in today's pile of prep as my quote. And I am just like, uh, the, the, some of these men just have a knack of explaining things uh, through writing that uh, I just don't have. They write this about it, and I never thought about abortion like this, but this is where we are with it. And now, last night at the State of the Union, Maggie, can you get, oh, not, not that I want to, to torture brother with this, but number six, Biden number six. What about the killing of children makes progressives willing to advocate for against their humanism and conservatives willing to abdicate their faculty of judgment for its sake? It is insufficient to blame Justice Roberts' use of precedent as something about abortion tempts intelligent people to use precedent as a technique for assuaging their conscience, just as it tempts others to use the logic of competing rights to assuage their own. We need to confront the possibility that there is a will to maintain the structural evil of abortion that transcends party lines, ideological camps, jurisprudential methods, and even the individual conscience. Abortion is maintained by a perverse kind of piety because abortion is a sacrament of liberalism that signifies and affects our, our allegiance towards the social order that we have built. Conservatives and liberals fear to strike it from our national activities, not merely because some people want to keep it, but because the end of abortion signifies the end of the world, an apocalypse a curtain on the social order as we understand it and the end of the state as we have built it. That's just, <laughs> that's just, that's brilliant. But I think that's completely accurate. That and Now, on international television last night, this happened in the House of Representatives of the United States of America. Listen. Congress must restore the right that was taken away and Roe v. Wade, and protect Roe v. Wade. Give every woman a constant right. The Vice President and I are doing everything to protect access to reproductive health care and safeguard patient safety. Well, already more safety? than a dozen states are enforcing extreme abortion bans. Make no mistake about it. If Congress passes a national ban, I will veto it. Now, Brother Andre, this man is running around claiming that he is a practicing Catholic. This is a, this is a, this may be the greatest scandal of any of our adult lives. If people say, "Well, your president is a Catholic and he supports abortion," I mean, they didn't just give you a golf clap for the murder of the soon-to-be-born. That was they stood and applauded and howled and cheered for it. Now, the real scandal, Mike, is that the bishops are going to do absolutely nothing about yes, this. Yes, yes. That's the real scandal. Yes, I, can, I agree. Um, no, uh, you know, he, 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 he should be, there should be swift action taken against him. But, I mean, but, but, but that should have been done for, what, 50 years? I mean, how long has the man been a career um, vulture politician, you know, just, just sort of sucking the life out of the institutions and sucking people's life, you know, getting a paycheck for doing nothing? This is... This is um, you know, and and all the while he was a quote unquote practicing Catholic. 
So all the while he could have been disciplined by his bishop, but this doesn't happen. Nope. So it's the it because the because the because the bishops are afraid to to, to rock the boat, and and I think your your commentator there um, in in the article that you read, Andrew Willard Jones. Was it Andrew Willard Jones? It was. was. It another, that Mark, Mark Barnes and Andrew Willard Jones wrote it together. They co-authored it. Yes. Okay. Well, it is. It is completely systemic. It is part of the structure of our of our government. Just as usury is woven into the fabric, so is abortion. Why? Because liberalism includes this idea of feminism. It includes this idea of just complete liberty to do whatever you want with no moral um, no moral restrictions on it and. If the libido can be restricted, then anything can be restricted, right? And what what is abortion all about? Well, it's of course it's a sin against the fifth commandment, but it starts as a sin, generally speaking, against the sixth and ninth commandments. Right. And be, and be, because of that, because that's that's the liberty that we really don't want to give up, is the liberty to uh, do whatever we want with our bodies. Even if it means that we're going to take the life of other people by destroying their bodies in the process, and it's it's a it's a it's 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 a perfect example of liberalism eating its tail, because if the idea is that you want to to um, defend liberty uh, maximally, well then denying certain people the right to life is is obvious obviously hypocritical. Totally. But this is this is where we understand that you are not free to do whatever you want with your own body. You are not free to um, have relations with another man's wife. You're not free to do that. That's not freedom, and uh, that in fact that's enslavement. And it has to, and we and and we need to be very clear on this. People need to understand that. There is, there are legitimate freedoms that are legitimately exercised, and and it's always in pursuit of the good. That's when freedoms are legitimately exercised when they're done in the pursuit of the good. When you pursue what you call freedoms in a morally illicit manner, that is not freedom. It's actually enslavement, and we 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 understand this intuitively when we see a drug addict or an, uh, an alcoholic, or somebody who's morbidly obese because he, you know, he just can't kick his Twinkie addiction. Um, uh, we understand this intuitively, and we always look at people like that and say, well, it must think to be them, but we don't get it when it comes to our own favorite vices. And when those favorite vices are sexual in nature, keep in mind this. It's a truth of Catholic moral theology. And I said before, I'm not a moral theologian, and I'm not. But I've studied moral theology, and the moral theologians, the, the, the real ones, are agreed that sexual sins uh, t- tend to be blinding in their effect on the soul. And they, and they make us, they darken our intellects in a particular way that other sins don't. And they can even lead us to a state, a very sad and desperate state, which is called spiritual blindness, in which we become completely adverse to any kind of supernatural promptings at all. And because of because of those because of the, the, the sort of the, the weight of those sins on the soul and the blinding and darkening effect that it has on the soul, we don't want to see the truth. We can't see the truth. 
And this is the sad state of our politics. We have an, a, virtually an entire political class that is blinded by their own sexual sins. Yes. And yes, yes, this is darn judgmental. Yes, I'm actually exercising judgment based upon the results you, what, those, the, that, those, those, that applause that you got. This isn't people saying, yeah, we want to defend women's rights. No, w women have a right to be treated with some dignity, not as mere sexual objects. All those men who are clapping, they understand that that means that they can, they can have as much sex as they want with no consequences. That's exactly correct. Brother, one more uh, digital media file uh, from last night. Uh, this is Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders on what you just said. And uh, I, I, I'm not sure that she's a, a friend of the faith, but that doesn't mean that she didn't get this one right. Per what you're talking about, what we're talking about on Wisdom Wednesday right now, listen. The Biden administration seems more interested in woke fantasies than the hard reality Americans face every day. Most Americans simply want to live their lives in freedom and peace. But we are under attack in a left-wing culture war we didn't start and never wanted to fight. Every day we are told we must partake in their rituals, salute their flags, and worship their false idols all while big government colludes with big tech to strip away the most American thing there is, your freedom of speech. That's oh. not normal. No, it's not Crazy. normal. Okay, so uh, again, I, I, I would take issue with we didn't ask for the, uh, the fight. There's always going to be a fight. <laughs> the bad guys are not going away. Sin is not going away because God's not going to let it go away. But I do agree, and I, and, and I uh, applaud her. She said salute their flags She's talking about the rainbow flag and the tranny flag, obviously. These are things that are presented now to us as rites of passage. And if you don't get the answer right, if you don't salute it, if you don't take a knee to the, uh, to the sin of sexual depravity, if you don't take a knee to it, well, then you're not allowed to participate in our little new world uh, usurious cult of death economy. Um, and there should be a war. There's going to be a war, whether, the, whether any of us like it or not. Um, it is a spiritual war that's going on. Uh, it may lead to a, a, a physical altercation. Who knows? Um, uh, and it may be necessary. It may be a just war someday that leads to a, a, an altercation. But she's right. They bring the war to you every day. And if you don't stand up and say no, you will stand in front of a judge that's greater than, a, than Judge Wapner on the people's court. <laughs> and you will answer for not acting and not doing what you should have done, which is don't deny the moral teaching of your faith. And uh, as a matter of fact, you might even, uh, there was a clip that we played. Brother, do you know who Mark Houck is? Uh, I've heard the name, I think. See, he was a guy that was arrested for supposedly punching. Oh, and yes, yes. We yes. know he was acquitted. Yes, I do remember that. Did yes. you hear what he said? Mm-hmm. He said, I want to thank God that God chose me and my family to suffer this, to endure this and to suffer it so that the tr truth may be defended. And 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 and, and then the, so the, uh, the, the, the right to, to protect and defend life uh, that you know I'm thankful for this for this suffrage you know I hear I heard that I'm going like okay that's what a saint says 
<laughs> a saint goes, and I'm not trying to be flippant here at all. I'm just giving a pop culture reference. A saint endures something like that, says, thank you, God, may I have another. Uh, and that's what we uh, we have to do. Like We talked about St. Francis de Sales last Wisdom Wednesday about how he fought. Uh, and, and, you know, I talked to Father Damien about this and as, as some, some sort of spiritual guidance. And there are lots of sins that you can commit. But there is also the sin, and I believe that we are tempted and told that we should do this, uh, of being given things like uh, in, in our lives that are sent by God that we are supposed to just thank you, God. And you know who makes this point so brilliantly and beautifully? Your little sister, Maria Gabriella. On that CD where she talks about the little way, I mean, she has me in tears sometimes just listening to her the way she talks about it. But And then she also makes me feel like a boob. <laughs> like, I'm boobus americanus catholicus. Um, uh, but but th that's the secret of, of, of St. Therese in a little way. What Mark Houck said, thank you. Yeah. I'm privileged. God chose me and my family. This is how we should think of this spiritual battle. This culture war battle. If, he's, if, he's, he's, he's mirroring the apostles in Acts chapter 5 when they, they, le they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were accounted worthy to suffer reproach for the name of Jesus. So this is, uh, they rejoiced. So this is something that, um, that, uh, that you can get, see, you can see it in scripture. The saints, the, 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 the early apostles, the great saints upon whom the church was built, had that exact sentiment. And, and I, I was privileged uh, that uh, Father Damien continues to humor me and let me give my little three-minute blurb about the saint of the day or the feast of the day every Sunday before the start of Mass. And this Sunday was St. Agatha. And uh, I hadn't done St. Agatha before, so I got a lot of reading on St. Agatha. That's what St. Agatha did to, oh, what was his name? Uh, something, Tianus. Um, he was the prefect or the, the governor of Sicily, basically. She told him no. She goes, no, I already have a spouse. And he tortured her. Yeah, it, it, tradition says that he had one of her breasts cut off. And then yes, she, and tradition also says that St. Peter came and healed her in prison. Okay, so it was a, 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 the rundown or the, or the, uh, from the, uh, what the church said about her is that, a, uh, that it, there was a man who claimed that he was an apostle, I think is how it read. Anyways, it's, a, it's an amazing story. Then when she refuses again, they, he rolls her in potsherds, broken glass or pottery, and, broken pottery, yeah. and hot coals. And then he throws her in a dungeon in his cell to, for her to go die or to suffer or torments, no medical treatment or, or care whatsoever. And then the city uh, erupts and uh, there's an earthquake and two of his buddies are killed. And at, at this point, he is horrified, terrified that he has actually incurred the wrath of God and then orders her release and, of course, she dies. Um, and then she stops Mount Etna's lava flow, her, her first miracle. Um, but that's the story of the, uh, and she's one of, and I learned this from Catholicism.org, by the way, brother. She's one of the seven girls mentioned in the Litany of the Saints. She's also in the Canon of the Mass. And she's in the Canon of the Mass, too. Um, these are instances, you know, we should talk about these more often um, and just remind uh, listeners, uh, whether you're Catholic or not, that you're going, what's the adage? Good things, ha bad things happen to good people. Maybe there are actually good things sent by God to teach us lessons 
or to serve as your chance to make an example of yourself in a good way to other people. Uh, yeah, and, and we, we can we in doing that we follow Saint Paul's admonition from the uh, Epistle to the Romans that um, we do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good. This is what the saints did. This is what our Lord did on the cross. The most heinous act of evil and malice in history, did the crime of deicide. God worked the greatest good out of it, the salvation of the world. Yes, right, and we see that in the lives of the saints in miniature. You know that they. They somehow, you know, turned the evils that they were given into occasions for good. And that's the concept of virtue. When, when, we, have a, when we have a cross, when we have a difficulty, when we have a, a setback or, or a challenge, uh, and virtue is what helps us to meet that. And that's, that's the Christian life. That's why, when you ha- that's why when you have a society that doesn't promote virtue and it promotes vice, and the, the standards of good and evil are going to become entirely skewed. This is sufficient to explain the existence of the woke culture. Because good and evil become virtually arbitrarily defined based upon how certain people react. And it's always people in the ascendancy who have the loudest mouthpieces. Whereas in, 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 in point of actual fact... Uh, it, virtue is good and vice is evil. Yes. And, and uh, you know, sexual sins are evil. Therefore, um, you know, there shouldn't be abortion there as sort of a, uh, a recourse for people who are going to um, engage in those sins and then want to commit the additional sin of murder in order to cover up for it. This so is- when you have a society that, that shuns virtue, this is this is this is what's going. You're, and you, this is what you're going to get, and you're going to get a simulacrum of virtue. You're going to get the woke culture or something else. Uh, by the way, something like it. Yes, uh, and thank you very much for that, brother. Uh, we're, we're out. Of, uh, we're out of time, but I, I, one, uh, I wanted to pass on from a Wisdom Wednesday of I believe three weeks ago, or uh, the first one of the year. Uh, we talked about the um, uh, about the right of marriage and what marriage uh, truly is, and uh, you gave an ex- explanation as to why sacramental marriage is uh, is the is preferred and it's God's way, and that <clears throat> that uh, priest uh, or, or uh, clergy absolutely can when it is appropriate, can deny sacraments. And one of our listeners was going through something with uh, a niece uh, of his, and his brother's going through it uh, 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 with his daughter, of them, uh, not uh, of, of uh, the soon-to-be-married, living in an inappropriate state. And they, uh, you know, they sought a clergy council to enforce that. Hey, you can't do that. That's that's not appropriate. You might you you need you need to stop. And um, they just wanted me. I, I don't know if they wrote you, but I told them that I would pass along uh, because one of them told me, Brother Andre said it so well. He took a nail and he drove it through the board with a sledgehammer. <laughs> So people are getting uh, get good things out of our Wisdom Wednesday chats is the point. And that discussion about marriage and about how we proceed, how young people proceed into marriage with, you know, my daughter's going through this. And I, and I, and I try to tell her, I'm like, 
this dating thing is not the way to go. Don't, it's uh, in any event. Um, uh, you did some real good for a f for two families, and they wanted me to thank you. Well, thank God. I'm glad. Yes. Now, what is on tonight's episode of Reconquest? Tonight's episode of Reconquest is um, Virgo postpartum, a married virgin. It's it's my it's sort of my reply. So I did a, I did I did an episode literally exactly mathematically 200 ep episodes before this one on the perpetual virginity of Our Lady. Yes. It was episode 162. It was called Mary's Perpetual Virginity. And it was kind of a B-flat treatment of the subject of Our Lady's Perpetual Virginity. This time there was a bit of an edge to it because I was um, answering some stupid objections. For some strange reason, there was a, uh, a plague of contentious evangelicals who ended up on Catholicism.org to attack the doctrine <laughs> of Our Lady's perpetual virginity in various com boxes and various postings on the site. And I don't know how that happened, but I guess, you know, they're, they're, they're on the prowl or something looking for Catholic websites to start attacking the Our Lady's perpetual virginity. And they had a particular um, angle that they were basically saying, well, you know, you Catholics have this contradiction. You say that the, the, the Holy Family, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, this is a great example for families, yet you say that they were, um, that Mary's a per perpetual virgin. So obviously she's not a good example to, to Catholic, to Christian wives. So, I mean, you know, one's first inclination is to answer with one's fists when, when met with such stupidity. <laughs> but um, we forbear and we, we, we resist that temptation. Um, but there are, there are answers to it, and you have to have something of a... I mean, one of the first things I said was, you really think that you can judge the Holy Family by the standards of any ordinary old family. You know, when, when, the, when the second person of the Most Holy Trinity is the son in that family, you're actually going to make the stupid statement that if they didn't continue to have other children, they weren't, quote, open to life. You know, she gave birth to life itself. <laughs> And you're telling me they weren't open to life. Sorry. I, I've never heard that work. one before. That's a unique one. So we continue this discussion tonight. Yes, we do. Good. Yes. And you can find it at, uh, it will publish itself at 8.01 a.m., uh, p.m. rather, uh, uh, Central Time tonight. Uh, no, uh, Eastern Time tonight at crusadechannel.com. Um, brother, I, I will send you a note about this. We could talk about this on another episode, if uh, if you wish, or maybe not. But I started running a two-part series. That uh, The first part is the amazing story of the guy that was going to kill uh, Pope Pius XII, Bruno. Bruno Carnacciolo, yeah. Yes, and then Father then uh, gave a, uh, a two-night mission on uh, Our Lady of Revelation and what she... I've been there. Yeah. Have you? You've been to the cave? Yeah, it's right near St. Paul outside the walls. So I went when I went on a pilgrimage to see St. Paul outside the walls, I, I, I stopped by that shrine. Oh, it's the most incredible story. Uh, it's a very humble little place, trust me. Okay. <laughs> very, but, but, yeah. the, but the story of Bruno, and uh, I, <laughs> if you think you know someone that's beyond saving, learn the story of Bruno. Uh, yeah. If you yeah, think he, someone's he, completely lost. To, he attempted to murder the Pope, and then he ended up giving him the dagger he was going to use as a gift. And he had inscribed on the handle, um, the death to the Pope or, or something to that effect. Um, but Our Lady, uh, 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 Our Lady of Revelation, 
um, is uh, I was just listening to it yesterday. Brother, I'll let you go and get back to your busy headmastering and running the and uh, being the prior uh, of the St. Benedict Center. You can read Brother and his ad rim at Catholicism.org, as always. Brother Andre Marie, thank you very much for another successful Wisdom Wednesday. We'll talk to you again very soon. God bless you. All right. Thank you, Mike. God bless you, too. You're very welcome.